Welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. Today is the 29th of September, 2023. I hope you guys enjoyed the little musical kind of mashup today. Today we have a few things to talk about before I uh, put out um, something that I intended to put out in August, believe it or not, but never had the time to. And I don't know how the archivist is actually going to archive this one. Um, in the silent points and for those listening on the podcasts i would highly suggest you get to it on rumble because it's quite pertinent i mean tucker beat me to it <laughs> but quite pertinent and i think uh, uh with more analysis i mean this was completed in august um but i think it's important that we talk about it so we're going to showcase a little bit Basically, in this world of information and power, where they intertwine, there existed one guy, Barack Hussein Obama. To the public eye, he was a charismatic leader, a beacon of hope for the disenfranchised. His speeches were magnetic. His promises, transformative, right? But what lay beneath that web of deceit Spun by powers beyond borders, beyond what you can imagine. He was crafted with precision, the quintessential mentoring candidate. Not programmed in a dingy room with brainwashing techniques, but groomed over the years, seduced by the intoxicated allure of money and power. It's a consortium of shadowy people, driven insatiable greed and their plan to profit from America's downfall. With every policy Obama proposed, the nation's once abundant resources dwindled. Our military power was eroded and the very fabric of our sovereignty was being chipped away and started to fray. All the while, this cabal's pockets grew heavier with, and their laughter louder and their control tighter. Factories shut down, ships lay dormant in harbors, and everyone in America was cheering for this guy and these people, not seeing the puppet strings that make all of these clowns dance. You can't attack them when they're mourning. It started. Well, obviously, they all have one foot in the grave anyway. They've been there way too long. It's almost like they die in office rather than step away. You're close to death's door, but you're qualified to represent your constituents. In the meantime, as you can see, there's much looming. A lot is coming out. They can't stop what's coming. And the only thing they can do is mitigate. Mitigate for what's to come. And this is going to come in many shapes and form aside from insane legislation. In New York, state legislators are pushing bills and passing. One specifically that blew my mind was Bill 
um, three, four, four, three, eight, sorry, from the state of New York. James Scoofus, a loser, proposed it. Basically, it's requiring the slate of electors to always pick whatever the party picked. So you're not allowed to pick and vote against your party. They're, they've made it law now that since you're an elector, you can't be a faithless elector, meaning that you're going to vote for someone else that they didn't choose. Now, this comes on the heels of a debate between DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. It's almost as if they're telling the people of America, you don't have a choice. This is the Democrat rep. This is the Republican rep. What's the point of primaries, right? What's the point of primaries? They've all, we're going to have a huge debate so we can get likability factor there and make Gavin Newsom look good because Ron DeSantis would lose and be crushed by Gavin Newsom. These are the things that they're doing on a state level. Oh, and mind you, there's over 30 states in the United States that have the same laws. Alabama, Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Florida, Hawaii, Indiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, Wisconsin, Wyoming. See, these say that you have to, when you go down to vote, vote for your candidate, that you can't switch party lines. Now, <clears throat> this is a big deal. I want people to table that and think about it. In the meantime, they will be providing as much fear as necessary. And it's always profit over safety, just so you know. Election laws. Now they've made a law where there are designated venues that people should go to in the state of New York if they have election questions. So like there's four districts, the first judicial, which is like Manhattan, Bronx, the second, which is like Nassau, Queens, Kings, um, uh, Westchester, uh, the third judicial, which is like mostly upstate New York and Albany, and then the fourth one, which is the western part of New York State in Erie County. Uh, uh, these are the districts that you go to and you tell them, hey, I have this complaint, and then they'll tell you, right, if there's a court and where you go to complain. So they've made this law too. Fear. You know, I would stay away from big crowds and stadiums. I actually um, was planning in October at some point to go to my, um, I, please don't laugh, to, to go to my first uh, football game in person, you know, after so many years, right? Um, but I'm not going to go. I'll tell you what. Let me show you a video so you can hear it. But there was a woman, and she was kind of just, last month she was at a baseball game, right? And she thought that someone threw something because she felt something, right? But she thought it was someone that threw something, no big deal, maybe some water splash. You know, she was all hyped in the moment of the game. And then she realized she got shot. And so now they've been investigating. They're like, there's no way you did it. And it's like, how am I going to shoot myself on my calf? I mean, there's cameras, you guys. They know. They're willing to cover up the fear. I'm telling you, people are going to start to lose it. 
and it's quite terrifying. Take a look. Well, it was a traumatic night for the 42-year-old woman who is still dealing with the physical and emotional fallout from what happened. She asked us not to use her name and to disguise her face because of all the media attention and the social media attention that this case has garnered. Tonight, she said she wants to set the record straight. It started off as a great night. I was looking forward to not only a baseball game, but a um, concert that evening with family and friends. But everything changed in an instant during the fourth inning as she was sitting in the left field bleachers on August 25th. I heard a loud pop. Um, I felt an impact on my leg and looked down and did not see anything. Um, I thought somebody, you know, in the crowd had thrown a beer can or thrown something, bottle water or something, and there was nothing there. But then someone nearby noticed a lot of blood and she looked down and saw her right leg was bleeding. It wasn't until a couple moments later that somebody mentioned that there was a bullet found um, a couple rows down. And at that moment was when I realized I had been shot. Um, I panicked. It went in here and traveled to here. This picture taken at the hospital shows where the bullet entered her right calf. It first grazed her thigh. An x-ray shows the bullet still embedded in her leg just above the ankle. Let's the woman agreed the to do an interview to address right the speculation the that she was to blame. Did you sneak a gun into the ballpark and accidentally shoot yourself? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you own a gun or guns? I do not. And she says she never has owned a gun, although she does have a Foyd card. The woman says she has been fully cooperating with police, but the last time they contacted her was the day after the shooting. She has retained an attorney who has consulted with a firearms expert and the doctors who treated her that night. The evidence that we have, both of the injuries and of the x-ray demonstrating the position of the slug in her leg, tell us that she did not shoot herself. Police who initially believed the shot was fired inside the ballpark are now considering that it may have come from outside. I would obviously like answers. Um, I would like to know what happened that night. The woman emphasized to me that she has absolutely nothing to hide, but with no answers from police about exactly what happened, she said she is just trying to be patient. Watch breaking news on YouTube. All right. So basically this woman is shot from behind and from the trajectory and they have the video. It seems that someone in another row because of the S, you know, the height uh, may have discharged a firearm in their pocket or jumping up and down, maybe something stupid or it was intentional because there were reports that have been scrubbed by even the police and other people saying that, you know, there were other bullets found, but you know, how would you hear it when people are cheering? kind of like the lady said, you would probably think someone popped something or you didn't see the crowd freak out. So it went from behind her thigh down to her, no, her calf, the back end of her calf down to her ankle. So the trajectory shows that it's people behind her. Now that means that anyone in that vicinity now is getting facial recognition and being followed by the feds to see who has a gun. Remember, this is Illinois. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be easy. But anyway, Let's get to the nitty gritty. What I wanted to share with you guys. What I should have shared and I didn't. And this has been kind of put together. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to a little bit more elaboration on Obama. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
All right, everyone. So it's Friday night. I'm getting ready to go out. This is the look. I'm feeling kind. But before I go out, I've got to pregame. And the only way I pregame is with an ice cold Bud Light. Ugh. Good. So good. Ah. Here's a poem for all the Democrats in my life. <clears throat> Please stay away. This was so fun. Thank you. If I was the devil, my first victim would be the kids. From the moment they left their mother's precious wombs and were born, I would condition them to see racial division as a norm. And I wouldn't stop till I've stripped their innocence, divide and conquer. It's the oldest trick in the book of Genesis. And see, as they grew up, I would, I would continue my infiltration. For 12 years, I would steal their hearts and minds from them and call it education. If I was the devil, my next victim would be women. I'd make old, out-of-touch men control women's bodies and rights. What better way to curse God than to disrespect the very bringers of life? Speaking to God, if I was the devil when it comes to religion, I'd put my plan together perfectly. I'd allow you to worship Jesus every Sunday, and on the other six days, I'd make you worship me. In the form of money, fame, lust, and greed to my religion, I wouldn't need to convert you. I'd turn the Ten Commandments to the Ten Suggestions and make virtue signaling more important than virtue. I give you just enough religion to hate each other, but not enough to love each other. And for my final evil strategy, I'd make you forget the whole purpose of religion was spirituality. If I was the devil, I, I wouldn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. I'd drive a Lambo, have a pretty face and a Gucci belt on. Basically, I'd take the form of everything you ever wished for and watch you create your own hell. I don't need to torch the earth. And as far as politicians go, I'd change nothing. They're already doing my dirty work. If I was the devil low key, I'd be behind the scenes. You wouldn't have to see me. I would normalize dysfunction and call it reality TV. And in this reality, I would attack your self-worth, making it hard to heal from. I'd show you images of fake bodies and make them more attractive than real ones. If I was the devil, I'd make you pray to technology and idolize those who create it. I'd make clout the number one drug and steal millions of lost souls as they chased it. Now, if I was the devil, I, I wouldn't do it all at once. I'd take my time instead. I'd eat away at your morals little by little, exactly how cancer spreads. Speaking of cancer, if I was the devil, I'd feed you tasty food that makes you ill. Then I'd turn your doctors into drug dealers, selling you pills that keep you coming back instead of truly healed. Yeah, if I was Lucifer, then I'd know life and death are in the tongue. So I'd make your knife and fork your executioner. So you can't achieve higher consciousness if your body is sick. You won't opt for positive information if you have inflammation. If I was Satan, my cleverness would be admired. Why do you think the word inflammation literally means to set on fire? If I was the devil, I'd show you how to really flex. I would release pandemics on the world to give people the chance to really care for each other and then sit back and laugh as they exploited and became scared of each other. Basically, if I was the devil, I'd keep doing what I'm doing. God is my witness. I already control your systems. Don't try to fight against this. Because for my last trick, I would make smart people like you doubt whether I ever existed. The personal chef of former U.S. President Barack Obama was found dead. His name was Tafari Campbell. He was 45 years old. Was it an accident or did something sinister happen? Social media is filled with theories, including the claim that Campbell was secretly writing a tell-all book on the Obamas. They say that the story isn't all that black and white. They're asking several questions. Some conspiracy theorists are also pointing at Campbell's Instagram. It has videos of the chef swimming. All these drowning chef stories seem off.
This is whom he is referring to, Walter Shabe. He too used to be a White House chef. In 2005, then-President George W. Bush fired him. He was found dead some days later. The chatter on the internet is this, that White House chefs or personal chefs or former presidents know too much. Be careful, Pat. Don't I ever think uh, it's perfectly acceptable for the. Although the most interesting thing of the whole thing is the uh, the Clinton quote about losing their chef was actually dated a week before he died. So it's sort of interesting. <laughs> Maybe they were going to be out of town. They were going to be out. They going to be out of town the following week, and they had to just be sure they. You yeah. know. What was the last time you you actually cooked? Uh, now it's been a while since I. It has been. A while. It has been a while. I, I won't lie about that. You ever drive? I cannot drive. I mean, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm able to drive. Is that because actually, you don't actually, have a birth certificate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have. Uh... In Kenya, we drive on the other side. Of the <laughs> uh, actually, the last time I drove, uh, uh, a former staffer came by, and, and he comes through the, the South Lawn, and he's got uh, one of these uh, new electric cars. At the time, they were new. Yeah. And, uh, and he was very excited about it. I said, well, yeah, let's try it out. So I... I just grab his keys, and we just go out. It's parked right in front, and I start circling the South Lawn. And the Secret Service, no matter what you do, do not let him out. And they, uh, they, they, they were pretty upset. They, so, they call you renegade, right? They Is do. That their, yeah. yeah they, because you're tooling around in an electric car, stopping <laughs> speeds of 30 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah. I, I, think, I think we have 35. Um, uh, Kennedy was replaced by a, a, a total crook who probably had something to do with the assassination, replaced by, replaced by another crook, Richard Nixon, who resigned in disgrace, replaced by the first unelected president in the nation's history, replaced by somebody who tried to do good but was forced out because of a, uh, a contrived uh, hostage uh, scandal or hostage situation Iran, replaced by a grade B movie actor, replaced by one of the perps who was standing right over here at the, at the uh, school book depository. Look, actually, George H.W. Bush was then a junior agent for the CIA, and he was replaced, of course, by uh, a Slick Willie, uh, a philandering uh, crooked politician uh, from Arkansas, replaced by Dixie Mafia, replaced by a, a barely functional uh, a, a, a person, George W. Bush, replaced by a, a, a CIA manufactured test tube baby. Is Barack Hussein Mohammed Obama has he been altered? Has he been altered to serve the will of the abyss called hell and its king called the devil? Has he been altered? I'm telling you, church folk, you need to ask these questions. Has this man's temperament been medically and scientifically altered? Because what we were looking at, we were looking at a continuation of the Clinton dynasty and the Bush dynasty. And by the time Clinton would have finished her tenure, then the world would have been certainly under that dynasty for as much as nearly 30 years. Has this man been altered? And we know that the media has been altered to support him. We're looking at altered states. These people who work in the shadows are trying to establish a new world order, just like Hitler envisioned. Ein Volk, ein Reich, ein Führer. One world, one race, and one ruler. A new world order on the ashes of all people and all sovereignty of all nations for all time.
the piece you're about to see is just part of the bigger picture on Obama. I've been taking a look at the piece that just came in this morning. Discovered CIA files that document the agency's connections with Obama. What has the Central Intelligence Agency, which is the enforcement arm of the Council on Foreign Relations, have to do with Obama? Was Obama picked by the international banksters to do their bidding? This author, Wayne Madsen, has worked for ABC and NBC and, uh, you know, Fox News. He's a contributor. Now, Fox gives you part of the story. They're part of that neo-Nazi group who gives you the fake uh, pretense of being conservatives. And yet most of these guys are Trotskyites in the background. Oh, Glenn Beck is doing a good job, probably 85, 90% uh, on target. But he never ever talks about uh, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, involvement through apparatchiks to take out the World Trade Center. Never ever talks about that. He continues to accept the government's story as the truth, when in actuality it's a lie. But this Obama thing, if some of these new reports are true, that he's not a citizen of the United States, does it really make a difference? I mean, he's black, we needed somebody that's black in there to, to show that we are politically correct. Uh, is Obama a citizen of the United States? Do you really care? Come on, should we, should we just lighten it up a little bit and you know give the brother a chance? Now, all of those stories that you heard about him uh, doing some crack in the back seat of a limousine while he was uh, getting some oral satisfaction from that fellow named uh, Larry Sinclair. You know Larry? Oh, you haven't seen his news clips? Haven't read his book? But then, does it make a difference whether the president is AC, DC, uh, that he bats for different teams? It matters whether he is batting for America or this international bankster group. The fella you are about to hear has had it together for many years. He's an investigative reporter. Oh, he does go around clean shaven and he's such a fanatic when it comes to documentation. He's a stickler. He says it the way it is. He's not going to give way or I tried to mess him up and screw him around, but you're just going to hear the beginning of the story. Welcome to Conversation with Mark Seidenberg. No, Barack Obama cannot be President of the United States legally, nor can John McCain be a United States Senator legally. He can't be. He's not a United States citizen. Oh, wait a minute, what do you mean he's not a United States citizen? They said he was born in Hawaii. No, he was not born in Hawaii. He was born on Mombasa Island in the Indian Ocean. Mombasa Island is a sister city of Honolulu, but it's certainly not in Hawaii. At the time of his birth, Mombasa Island was a territory under the sovereignty of the Sultan of Zanzibar, which was an area known as a British protectorate, and had been a British protectorate since 1895. His mother went to Mombasa Island to give birth after an incident occurred at Port Ritzay at the airport, which is on the mainland. She needed to go to the hospital to give birth because she was going to fly back to the United States via probably you mean on the mainland of Kenya? From the mainland of Kenya. That's correct. She went from uh, uh, the mainland to the island, which is that time under the sovereignty of the Sultan of Zanzibar. 
from the uh, Port Ritzy Airport. Port Ritzy Airport is the airport that serves Mombasa Island. In uh, 1961, the main route by air from, from uh, Mombasa Island to the United States uh, would have been via Port Ritzy Airport on a DC-3 flight into either Nairobi or Kampala Airport. From there, taking a uh, flight to London. From London, one would travel to Montreal into Idlewild Airport. That would be the route she was going to take. She didn't, so she went in labor at the airport. She had to be uh, taken to a hospital on Mabasa Island. The doctor that accompanied her was the um, director of the hospital that was adjacent to the terminal at Port Retsay. There's rumors that his grandmother watched the birth. Well, that's what she said, that she watched the birth. So she obviously had a, been at uh, a hospital in Mombasa Island. So it was not in Kenya, but in Mombasa Island. That's right, because it didn't come part of Kenya until later. Mombasa was under Zanzibar sovereignty. So we're talking about the President of the United States, this fellow who professes to be the President of the United States. Professes correct? to be. The United States Congress passed a anti-anchor baby provision. And the provision basically said that a mother had to be a resident of the United States for 10 years. Five of those years had to be after the age of 14 years of age. Barack Obama's mother at the time of his birth was only 18 years of age. Therefore, she didn't qualify to give him U.S. citizenship. A lot of you have read the story in the Globe about uh, Obama not being a citizen of the United States, and the Mark Seidenberg interview certainly validates that. Uh, have you ever considered the fact that he is a follower of uh, Saul Alinsky? Oh, Saul Alinsky did not pray to God. Uh, no, he prayed to Lucifer. He dedicates his book to Lucifer. But why should I mention Saul Alinsky? Because Obama has read the book. Obama's mentor is Saul Alinsky, who dedicates rules for radicals to, to Lucifer, to Satan, to the devil, for God's sakes. Does that make a difference? Oh, we got to let something like that pass. Uh, is Obama a worshiper at the throne of Lord Lucifer? No, not a chance. Barry Sotaro, or well, I guess that was the name that he used for a period of time when he was in Indonesia, may have been born in Zanzibar. Oh, not even Kenya. Oh, no, no. In Zanzibar, and then went from Zanzibar to Kenya. Should that make a difference? About a third of the people living in the United States says it does. And there's a court case that's going before the Supreme Court. Are they going to sort of shift the information here and there, just like they did in the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Do they, they, I'm talking about the Illuminati, the Council on Foreign Relations Group, those people who control the CIA, uh, manipulate the facts to come forth with a message which is entirely contrary to the truth? You will find the rest of the story in our film, The Bankster's Boy. All you have to do is plug in and you can carry the message to the world before some of these madmen, insane people in this administration create another war, which could be the end and the beginning of World War III.
big news dealing on them trying to rewrite the history of Obama's family and all these intelligence agency connections because your research just isn't into the birth certificate. A lot of it now being duplicated and expanded on by Jerome Corsi, uh, but also into his CIA connections. Well, especially uh, his his passport records and what he was doing when he was supposedly at Columbia and Occidental and potentially at Harvard Law. Uh, w right now we've got an article that came out uh, in the New York Times Magazine uh, written by Janie Scott who's got a book coming out about Obama's mother. The thing, they're, they're changing the facts. They're, they're, uh, she even had an interview with Obama in the Oval Office but we're being told things that just did not occur. They are changing the facts. They're changing Wikipedia as we speak. New York Magazine is basically a Cass Sunstein organ more and more. Oh, I think so. Uh, you know, this is New York Times, uh, uh, but uh, w what we have is Lolo Satoro, the stepfather's uh, history being uh, revised. Um, uh, we have uh, Stanley Ann Dunham's history being revised. We have the history of Indonesia prior to and after the 1965 coup against President Sukarno also being revised. This is happening in, in, in uh, plain sight and uh, we're supposed to believe that this New York Times reporter got the interview with Obama in the Oval Office uh, spoke to all these people who knew the family without any independent corroboration of that so I think this is a huge they're, they're obviously preparing for this to be raised in the election campaign and this is sort of like a preemptive move move on their part. and that's more evidence of the guilt if it had no proof behind it they would have released the original certificate not the receipt they would have uh, spelled all this early on but all of his records are kept very very secret especially the the area that there's uh, seems to be a lot of reluctance to go after and remember the passport file was being rifled through in January of 08 at the right in the primary season uh, we had John Brennan's company the analysis corporation he's now Obama's deputy national security advisor they were the ones committing the 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 act of rifling through the passport file what they I think they were trying to get uh, remove information. We know that her, uh, Stanley Ann Dunham's uh, passport file prior to 68 was inadvertently destroyed, we're told. Uh, okay, so Wayne, uh, you know, we got Jerome Corsi being put on house arrest when he tried to go uh, over to uh, Kenya uh, a few years ago. You've got the records uh, now. Uh, he's reported in Indonesia, Kenya, Hawaii. They're all destroyed. They're all missing. Governor Abercrombie said four months ago when he was governor-elect, oh, I'm going to get into those records. He, he went and said, okay, the original birth certificate isn't there. Uh, but it's not just that. It's his whole background. You were getting into them trying to basically rewrite history right now. They are really, really scared of this. Sure, Obama's a teleprompter reading puppet, but if he gets politically damaged, that will damage everything he's done. Well, I think it's interesting what we know. Uh, some of the tidbits that came out in this uh, article in New York Times Magazine that we did not know before. We found out that when Obama was uh, young, a young boy living in Jakarta, he said he wanted to be the future prime minister of Indonesia. He also said he wanted to be president of the United States at some point in time. But I would imagine you could not be the prime minister of Indonesia unless you were somehow, uh, you knew that you were an Indonesian citizen. Well, he changed his name to Barry Satoro. Barry, Barry Hussein Satoro. We're also now told that Lolo Satoro, uh, according to this uh, this article in New York Times, uh, that uh, Lolo Satoro worked 
not as a government relations uh, uh, person for mobile oil, which we were told he did as sort of like payback for the work he did to help install Suharto with the, C with the CIA coup. Now we're told he worked for Unical, Union Oil of California. So that's changed. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got the, the, uh, this report from somebody who uh, was in Indonesia at the same time. Uh, Stanley and Dunham, the mother, was there saying, oh, in the late 60s and early 70s, Indonesia was like, they called it the Indonesian Prague Spring. It was a honeymoon. There were uh, there was freedom of the press, and student groups were uh, had a lot. Where where are they getting this stuff from? Suharto was a brutal dictator. He was a brutal dictator up until uh, uh, he left office. Basically, he he was responsible for the brutal invasion and occupation of East Timor in 1975. Mass murders, mass executions. So this is all being rewritten to make it look like the time that Stanley and Dunham was in Indonesia. There was this Prague spring and she was this headbanded hippie running around throwing flowers at everybody when in fact she was she was pinpointing people uh, for the Indonesian uh, army to go out and massacre who were uh, suspected of being communist or anti-regime uh, that's what she was she was doing. posing as a leftist absolutely absolutely and and and, and that's why that you're getting the threats uh, through the State Department and the foreign uh, uh, embassy and a major publication because they're they're, they're concerned about they're smoke then there's fire with the birth certificate but it's really this uh, intelligence background they're worried about absolutely I think this is the thing that can sink them uh, I think uh, this this can open up the door if Obama traveled to Pakistan in 1981 on an Indonesian passport if he had an Indonesian passport he had already committed himself to uh, uh, fealty to another sovereign. He cannot be the president of the United States. I, you know, I know there's people with dual passports, but let's look at the fact that he he supposedly goes to Occidental on a foreign student scholarship program uh, that was only available to foreign students. So we see if this when you give up your citizenship, because a lot of countries don't let you have dual Indonesia, you have to give it up. He gave it up. He would have had to give it up, right? Indonesia does not permit dual citizenship, and uh, so so we have a, an issue here. And, and, and you know, by the way, I hope folks know. I mean, you're a serious journalist who's never said you've been death threatened before. You've been let. You know, you've been told. I mean, what you're doing is dangerous right now. Just like when I had the D.C. madam uh, on the show a few months before they killed her, and we talked to her landlord at the condo or, or, or the manager. She said they're following me. I got to get these papers to my mom's. He sent me copies of release. It was not her handwriting. Uh, she said on air, no, I'll never kill myself. I mean, they killed her. I hope people know you're risking your life uh, with what you're doing right now. Well, this is this is an important story, and, and I think the White House is somewhat comfortable with the birth certificate story, because they they know that there's all these dead ends there, but I I think that it's the, it's the passports, it's Obama's past in Indonesia, uh, and what he did when he's ostensibly at Columbia, Occidental, and Harvard that really, and, and also when he was supposedly a community uh, organizer, not, he wasn't, he, 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 was, he was obviously informing uh, on the, some of the black uh, groups in Chicago at the time, the El Rukin Gang, the, uh, the Black Panther Party, uh, the Nation of Islam, uh, he was plopped in there. Those people in South Chicago did not trust, I've spoken to them, they did not trust Obama. He was just a little too cool for them. That's right, you spent a lot of time in Chicago. Absolutely. And, and 
and I've had discussions with people who work with the Nation of Islam, work for the Black Panther Party, uh, were, knew the guy that ran the El Rukin gang. And look, the El Rukins at the time, when he plopped in there in 86 from, from uh, that CIA job in Manhattan, uh, this was at the height of the, you look at the Chicago Tribune. El Rukin gang thought to be doing a deal, you know, getting a deal with uh, Gaddafi to get shoulder-launched missiles to shoot down planes at O'Hare. Now we see Obama's attacking Libya. Is this score settling? Bottom line, before we go through more of the history, more of the evidence of this, uh, what type of asset is Obama? What was their plan? Because he was nested at the highest level, both sides of his family, at the biggest foundations that themselves created the CIA. The way I read this in my past research, it appears that from very early he was put into the highest level schools uh, being developed for where he is now. And anyone who remembers the movie The Manchurian Candidate, uh, that's exactly what they were uh, trying to do with in, in that movie, uh, setting somebody up. But in this case, it, was, it looks like it was the CIA. Uh, it, it, it had their own Manchurian candidate and, and groomed this individual for higher office, and uh, he eventually uh, got it. Now, one of the things that I found was um, uh, some CIA files uh, from the uh, 1970s referring to uh, behavioral science work being done by the Central Intelligence Agency. That was Dr. Sidney Gottlieb's operation. One of the favorite universities for this research was the University of Hawaii, where... Barack Sr. met, met Ann Stanley Dunham. And so you're saying he was trained in mind control or he's under mind control? Oh, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know, but I, I mean, M, we know what MKUltra was. It was, it was, it was uh, extreme behavioral modification. Yeah, the LA Times reported the Unabomber, Theodore Kaczynski, was in that program. Well, another, another university, you know, some of the other universities mentioned in this were Yale, MIT, University of Michigan, and UCLA, and, and the University of Hawaii is singled out as the fifth favored university for this work by Richard Helms. Now, this work was done through the Advanced Research Project Agency, uh, which uh, was working, uh, uh, the, the guy, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kibler with the U.S. Army, was working on uh, things like remote viewing. You know, the, you saw the movie Men Who Stare at Goats. That was what that was all about. So it was a multifaceted project that had a but it was all into this weird, bizarro stuff. Well, for me, what you know, the cherry on top, and we haven't covered a ten, ten percent of the evidence in your article, is that the way they hide all his records, the way he goes right into college but is never there. He's all over the world. He's in hot zones. It looks like they were training him in all sorts of uh, you know in the field training from a very early age. Well, the CIA front company in in, uh, in Honolulu actually uh, came up with a false uh, corporate history, said that it, they had been doing business in Hawaii since it was a territory. Everything was fake with that particular company. When when the company went bust uh, and accused of being a Ponzi scheme, where have we heard that recently? Certainly, we had with Stanford. We had, we heard it with Enron, uh, and uh, here we had another one, and BCCI. So here here we have an early example of the CIA setting up this financial firm. Uh, to make these payoffs out of Honolulu, and uh, it, when it goes bust, uh, the innocent uh, investors are all defrauded. And Grandma's and, running it. Uh, well, she's working at the Bank of Hawaii, which is laundering the money. She's running the escrow account uh, at the Bank of Hawaii, which is the is where the, the agency is placing the funds to transfer to their their uh, their boys over in Asia. Uh, these dictators and the, these favored favored politicians. Um, I would also note that uh, AIG, which he bailed out, which was started by Ken Starr's um, great uncle in uh, in uh, in Shanghai, uh, was uh, also a CIA front. 
uh, doing the same thing in Asia, from China to Japan to Korea and everywhere else. Well, so, look what Top yeah. Secret USA confirms what you'd already reported on for years. Close to a million secret private spies in the U.S. alone with the highest security level. That's one out of 300 Americans. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we, look, at, we look at all this, and, and it's fascinating. I, I also uh, uh, found a, a very rare copy of a book that was written in 1968 and actually favorably review, uh, reviewed in an article in the Boston Globe in 1971, um, uh, and it lists 3,000 uh, CIA agents around the world, lists the the uh, stations, and, and some of the most active were Jakarta uh, and, and Lahore, Pakistan, and Karachi. And the book lists a bunch of Obama's family's bosses. Uh, bosses, right, including the guy that was right, running the, the, the microfinancing work out of the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta at the time. So we have a lot of, uh, lot of connections. I, I also noticed that one person who I know uh, is listed in the book, Peter Ernest, runs now the International Spy Museum. A lot of things are newly declassified on a routine basis. They do everything they can to cover up his history. Now they shred his mother's passport that would be stamped for where she really was when he was born uh, and then release his passport, uh, which you know, he's already had a passport before. Even if he got it through fraud, that's easy to do. This proves nothing, but it's their attempt to say, look, we're not going to give you the original you know, with his feet stamped on it and the doctor's signature uh, you know, of his real birth certificate, we're going to give you his passport to supposedly shut up the birthers. And you've got this entire history of being groomed, the entire family on every side, deep inside the big foundations, working for Geithner's dad, the Rockefellers, Annenberg, all of them, uh, you know, all the top globalists. And then you've got even more in this three-part series. Well, you, you know, we go back to January, uh, February of 08 and the big uh, uh, U.S. State Department passport uh, uh, scandal where uh, some contractors working for a company called the Analysis Corporation were caught looking uh, into Obama's passport files. Now, that company at the time was headed by Don Brennan, who used to be with the CIA, came up with a lot of this rendition program under Bush, and now he's the Deputy National Security Advisor. How convenient. Um, so, so uh, you know, they said, oh, well, Hillary and McCain's passports, uh, records were being looked at. I think that was a diversion. That was, that was uh, you know, make it look like they were going to Obama. I think... The fact is, they were going in to see exactly what Obama had, if anything, with a smoking gun uh, as far as his uh, passport files. And uh, I was getting ready to say before the break that one of the names in this book of 3,000 uh, active agents during the late 50s and 60s is, is Peter Ernest, who's, who's now the director of the International Spy Museum. And remember, Obama took his two daughters to visit the Spy Museum. Everyone said, now, isn't that a little odd? Why would he take them there? Well, maybe it was old home week for him. So what does this mean to the American people, Wayne, uh, to, to, to have someone who, who clearly was manufactured and put into power? I mean, obviously they can blackmail him, but that's not even needed. He's just completely controlled. Well, no, I, I think that's the problem. <clears throat> he should have, look, presidents and vice presidents do, or senators or members of the House do not require security clearances. The mere fact they're elected, their staffs require the clearances, but they do not. But uh, on what I uh, reported out of Chicago with his, his, his private life and now with this, his background with the agency. This should have all. This was all available back in, 19, uh, in uh, 2008, and, and and no one, you know, pursued it because everybody was listening to this brilliant order. And you know, beware, beware of these brilliant orders. History is replete with them, and it turned out to be uh, nothing more than demagogues when they've gotten into office. Uh, we know many cases of it uh, throughout throughout uh, recent and, and even ancient history where that's happened. Continuing, there's a lot of other areas of your detailed three-part series that we haven't covered yet. 
uh, kind of recap it, get into some other areas and connections we didn't go over. And then when we talked last night, you said you're still doing more research. There's even more, that there's mountains of this. And just every place you turn, CIA, 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 CIA. Well, let's look at his, uh, his father, Barack Sr., who was brought over in this airlift Africa project. Uh, now, his, his mentor in Kenya, who was assassinated in 1969, Tom Amboya, uh, basically selected uh, Barack Sr. and others over more qualified candidates. And I got a, a, a very obscure Reuters piece from London in 1960 where one of the opposition leaders in Kenya says, wait a minute, some of the people who were passed over had better uh, academic qualifications, uh, better certificates than the people who were selected. Well, it's obvious why they were selected. They were selected, and in the case of Obama Sr., he's married with a kid and went on the way already in Kenya when he arrives in Hawaii, and he marries uh, Obama's uh, uh, mother, who's just graduated from, from uh, high school. Uh, it, it's very clear that this was some sort of a CIA operation uh, to get those two together. Um, you know, you got to wonder what kind of parent would, uh, would you know, put their, their own child up for auction uh, for, because the agency finds it, uh, it, it's important to do. So, um, but Amboya is interesting because he basically was spying for the CIA at all these pan-African meetings, and basically he was uh, trying to limit the influence of some of the leftist African leaders who were thought to be in the pocket of the Soviet Union and, and uh, communist China at the time, uh, and, and particularly uh, uh, Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana, who was also overthrown in 1966 in a CIA coup, just one year after Sukarno was overthrown in Indonesia with the help of Lolo Satoro, Barack's stepfather, and whatever work his mother was doing for USAID and, uh, and other entities uh, in Indonesia. Now, we talked last night, uh, and, and I said, it seems to me that they knew that they would build him up as this messianic leader, and then they study societal movements, individual psychology, mass psychology. The, the architects know that he would then not deliver uh, the milk and honey and the restored economy and the end of torture, the end of wars, with his advisors and who put him in power. They were always planning uh, to uh, you know, not deliver any of his promises and then politically destroy him. And uh, you concurred uh, with me, so I want you to expand on your view. What was their plan for Barry Sitaro, a.k.a. Barack Obama, and, 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 and what is their master plan uh, encompass uh, for the nation and, 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 and for their front puppet? More balkanization, more division, uh, selling Africa on AFRICOM uh, or AFRICON being set up. Uh, I mean, what's the overall program with Plan Obama? Well, you know, the CIA regularly uh, uh, uses people who are called futurists. Now, this isn't the weird kind of thing where people look in. These are, these are uh, subject area experts who try to look to see where technology, where politics, where population, where demographics will be 20, 30 years into the and future. And they seek to steer it. They seek to already know what people are going to want to do, well, where culture right. is going to bring them, so they can be prepositioned to dominate those systems. That's what Google is. So if we go back in time to 1960, we're looking at the CIA, looking at the demographic changes of the United States. Uh, increasing African-American population. I, I don't think they really banked on the uh, uh, increase in the Hispanic population. Uh, obviously, that came later. But well, wait a minute. It's come out that the Ford Foundation, billions, Bill and Melinda Gates, tens of millions, Tumacha and La Raza, uh, Ford Foundation going back 60 years, creating those groups. Right. Well, I think the one thing, because of the civil rights movement, uh, they were looking at, look, Martin Luther King was the uh, leader of the uh, African-American uh, group, uh, movement, the people in this country. Uh, he broke with Johnson in 67 over Vietnam. 
steers very hard to the left, and uh, as a CIA, I'm sure that, God, we can't, if we're going to get a leader, we can't have a Malcolm X, we can't have a Martin Luther King Jr., we have to make sure that when, it, when we have one, in, in line to become president, somebody that we can, uh, we can basically control. Let me, Margaret Sanger, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, on record in public letters, uh, with the Rockefeller Foundation saying we've got to pose as liberals, get the black leaders in place so we can abort most of them, and they've been successful. 51% of blacks never make it out of utero. They're murdered in the womb. Uh, so they did that, and they talk about uh, controlling black leaders by financing them. So we know that that's their strategic plan. And, and Martin Luther King got off the reservation, so they took him out. Well, absolutely. And um, so you look back in 1960. And uh, is it beyond the pale to consider the fact that they may have wanted to groom somebody from a very early age, like a baby? Uh, uh, you know, you've got his parents and his grandparents basically in their pocket. And then you've got this stuff about behavioral science work at the University of Hawaii. Uh, there's just so many gaps in the histories of not only uh, the president, but also uh, his mother, uh, his father, uh, his, his grandfather, and his grand grandmother on his mother's side. So... Um, when you see gaps like that, now you, you look at any other president. We, we those families we knew way too much. My God, Roger Clinton, uh, Billy Carter. But in this case, we have these significant gaps uh, in their histories, and, and I think that's something that people should be concerned about. Wayne, I think that's the key that you just hit on. You have all this effort to cover up the past. You've got CIA connections uh, to your left, your right, forward and backwards at every level. Uh, you have got uh, the fact that they've spent so much time, not just in the present, but going back decades covering up his true providence uh, and, and where he comes from. And, and then, as you said, all these intelligence and corporate uh, intelligence and foundation connections. And now he's the president. And we know they have these programs to go in, not just here, but all over the world and, and recruit leaders. I mean, the British recruited Hitler. That's declassified uh, in the mid-20s and took him from nowhere and funded the, the National Socialists to make him their leader. And, and the military group bragged we're going to build this guy up and he's going to tear europe up and uh, then we're going to be able to come in and rebuild it and take it over i mean this is their long-term strategic thinking and when you look at obama and everything he's done it's clear uh, this guy is a total betrayer of everything he claims to be well you remember last november when old man bush hw um, uh, 41 and jeff bush paid what was called a courtesy call to the white house we were not even told what that was about a courtesy call that's all we were told well, you know, you've got the guy who the, the CIA headquarters is named after and his uh, the son visiting Obama, and uh, it's just, oh, we were in town, we thought we'd stop by. Uh, look, that doesn't happen at the White House. I mean, uh, those Salahis aside, uh, you don't get into the White House unless you have a reason to be there. So, I mean, obviously you're saying their plan was to have a controlled asset who was supposedly African-American in there. That's clear. But... How is their plan going? I mean, did they mean for him to be a messianic leader and be successful? And has their uh, attempted launch of this uh, African-American Napoleon failed? Or did they plan to just use him as a distraction and then destroy him? Well, I think he's given them everything they want. Look, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom is now Operation New Dawn. I mean, right out of George Orwell's new state lexicon, we're, we're showing pictures of convoys leaving Iraq. 50,000 troops are going to stay, and we're going to see an increase in contractors. What's that all about? By the way, I have the New York Times today on that. They say, oh, private contractors and intelligence operatives will now run the government. So this is a practice run for the U.S. and other countries where they don't just stage coups, they come in and put in their entire apparatus through these giant armored embassies and control everything and just have plainclothes death squads running the nation. 
Well, that's right. And, and look what Obama, right after he comes in, you know, he allows the CIA to overthrow President Zelaya in Honduras. He wants to build seven military bases in Colombia, and the Constitutional Court of Colombia just shot that down. So, you know, what Obama wants to do is now being shot down by the court in Colombia. I mean, this guy is owned lock, stock, and barrel by, by these intelligence, you know, the intelligence community, because he's not said no to them ever. I mean, Patriot Act, still in effect. Uh, we have uh, uh, increase in uh, electronic surveillance. We got these deals between the CIA and Google, and and and, and NSA and Google, and, and Microsoft, and everything else. And so he's he's allowing he, he ran on openness. Uh, the Freedom of Information Act is still uh, not being implemented. It's still backlogged. Requests are not being honored. It was teaching because when you look at his actions, it looks like he's teaching the Constitution of North Korea, not of the United States of America. You know, I laugh, but it isn't funny. This is really happening, and I mean, this is really the private offshore corporate takeover of society. They're setting up. Their fusion centers run by the CIA in every major city. They're federalizing the police. They're training U.S. SWAT teams in Iraq for cordon, for shutting down cities, for gun confiscations. At the G20 in Pittsburgh, uh, my employee got arrested, Rob Dew. He, he saw people being let off trucks with bags on their heads. The Army would then, when they had to go to the bathroom, to follow them and then make fun of them. And, and, and this was all encouraged, like something right out of 1984, and this, they had private snatch-and-grab teams in front of news cameras on purpose, grabbing activists, putting bags on their heads. Now it happened in Toronto. Same thing in England. They are globally deploying a scientifically developed corporate oppression, a corporate black-op tyranny. And, uh, I mean, clearly, this is the complete shadow takeover, and now it's out in the open. I mean, this is so illegal, Wayne. Well, let me say another thing about Obama. You know, he's... He has had scheduled two trips to visit Indonesia. Both trips have been postponed. Um, you know, I think he, he, he knows that when he arrives in Jakarta, the, the Indonesian press, uh, some foreign press, will start looking at his uh, time there. And I don't think they want that kind of attention on that. And I think that's one reason. Now, he's always said he's had other priorities. I think the oil spill was one reason. Well, no, that's another issue, Wayne. You keep bringing up great points. It's, it's admitted he was in Indonesia longer than he said. Then he lied about being in the Muslim school. It's fine if he's a Muslim, but why lie about it? I mean, everything he's ever told us is a lie. You went over that earlier. I mean, when the parents met, when the grandparents met, when all this happened, we learned it's all a fiction. Well, I and mean, the other thing I discovered is when they were, uh, before they went to Hawaii, they were in Mercer Island, Seattle, in the state of Washington, and and uh, I did find uh, in a list of these uh, agent the CIA people uh, the name of the uh, chief engineer for uh, Boeing, and he was his area of primary assignment was Mercer Island. Now, uh, Madeline Dunham worked for the Boeing Corporation during World War II in Wichita, Kansas. So it's he's the only guy listed with the agency in Mercer Island. You know, we got to figure the time frame here. Um, you know, uh, you know, you could conspiracy or coincidence, but I I think that's much more than a coincidence. But we know his father's involved in all these secretive activities. Now Obama's involved with Odinga, having the Muslims riot to create the prime ministership for him. I mean, just everything Obama does is dastardly. Everything he does is skullduggery laced. And uh, it's just at every turn. And then there's the secrecy. And so I think you've conclusively proven that uh, the media has been involved in a cover-up of this guy's true history. And everything we know about Barry Sotaro is a complete stinking lie. Final segment straight ahead with Wayne Matson. WayneMatsonReport.com. Our site's GCNLive.com. We haven't done one since Monday. You want me to do it again? I appreciate the work you've done. I want people to read Wayne Madsen's report. And I want them to read the breakdown that we've done on top of it. So I want you to search this key term and make it the number one search term today. And I'm going to launch another one next hour. We'll hit them with two torpedoes.
But the article isn't ready at prisonplanet.com separately on what Google's doing, trying to take over the web with Verizon. So that'll be launched at 30 after with Joel Skousen next hour. But I want you to search the term bombshell Barack. Bombshell Barack. Bombshell Barack. And then that will lead them to WayneMadsonReport.com. Search the term bombshell Barack right now, and that will lead them to this investigation. We'll post these videos later at YouTube. We'll link those in. And uh, Drudge Report routinely then links to this, and we can push this mega viral thanks to you taking action. We'll expose the CIA-created asset bombshell Barack is the search term. Bomb shell. One word. B-O-M-B-S-H-E-L-L. -L, Barack. Please take action. We're 10 for 10. We've done this 10 times. You have never failed in the info war. Bomb shell Barack. And we're going to launch another torpedo in T-minus 35 minutes. Closing comments, Wayne Madsen. I hope people will support your investigative journalism by subscribing. You give most of what you do away for free, but it's important that people support you as an investigative journalist. How do they subscribe to WayneMadsenReport.com? Well, you just go to Wayne Matson Report, M-A-D-S-E-N, Report, uh, all one word, uh, dot com, and you'll see a thing that says join now. Uh, click on that, and uh, it'll step you through the process. Um, but, um, it, you know, it, it is time-consuming to go through, uh, locate, and then go through these extensive files because we're talking about kind of ancient history, uh, you know, the CIA, 1960, 61, uh, up through the 70s, and there's a lot that you just have to piece it together, and it's a very time-consuming process, but um, but I'm going to continue uh, to try to delve into this background because, uh, as I said, this should have been done in 08. It wasn't done, uh, but uh, I, I guess uh, the old uh, saying, better late than never, uh, applies here, too. Well, you certainly deserve respect and support, Wayne. We've got about a minute and a half left in this hour. Any other key tidbits or points you wanted to make? Well, I, no I noticed that uh, in his uh, mother's passport records, uh, there was a name uh, that had been crossed out, so Harco, which is, uh, again, another name we have uh, in addition to Sotoro. I guess the question is, who is, who is Suharko? Who was he? Who is he? Was that, uh, was that another name assigned to uh, 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 President Obama when he was in Indonesia? How do you spell so Suharko? S-O-E-H-A-R-K-O. Very suspicious. Anything else? Uh, well, I would just urge people to, uh, uh, you know, while we have the Internet, you know it's under tremendous assault by the guys, the guys like Cass Sunstein and his friends. Uh, just uh, uh, search all this information out, uh, save it, because it, it may become uh, useful later on before it disappears entirely. I agree. 44 and one before that, 43, Bush and Obama. Well, there are pictures of Bush with his arm around uh, eight-year-old Barack Obama because his stepdaddy, adopted daddy, Lolo Sotoro, had done a lifetime worth of business with the Bushes. Uh, wow. Uncle George Herbert Walker, after whom George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush won president, was named, founded Halliburton in 1946 in Oklahoma. And Lolo Sotoro had been international executive vice president for Standard Oil. There was talk of him being a CIA asset. Oh, well, yeah, see, he ran mm -hmm. the death squads for the Indonesian army. On mm -hmm. his own call, anyone could be assassinated. So when George Herbert Walker Bush became head of the CIA under the Ford administration, he just got with his old buddy in the oil business, Lolo Sotoro, and pulled off the hits. See, uh, Barack's grandmother has been acknowledged as being the woman that operated the 
channels through which CIA money went to the Southwest Pacific. So she introduced her daughter, who had just had Barry, Barack, to Lolo Sotoro, and they got married, and Lolo Sotoro adopted Barack Obama. The name was changed to Barry Sotoro. Mm -hmm. Now, when he went to high school in Hawaii, I know about that high school. I almost sent my oldest son to it. I could afford it, but I didn't think he observed, deserved it. Twenty years ago, the tuition was $95,000 a year, not including room and board. When Obama went there, I've talked to two of his classmates. They independently state that the tuition, not including room and board, was 45000 Now, Business Insider reports his income for 2017 at over $200 million net. That's after taxes, deductions, write-offs. Mm -hmm. For this last year, 2018, they reported it as $570-plus million dollars. And that's after all deductions, tax, right? Trump doesn't make that net. I mean, even some of the richest people in America don't make that. Why? Because when his stepdaddy died, he was one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. And he left everything in a trust fund, operated out of Indonesia, oh. so the American government can't touch it, that makes Barack Obama one-third beneficiary for the assets of one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. See, wow. so we got a game run on us. So, you know that little thing that Bush W. does when he gets with Michelle, they giggle and he gives a candy. The inside thing, is that supposed to be the same kind of candy he used to give to her husband when he was six, seven, eight years old? It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. Michael and I. Michael and I. Tonight, we look at one Michael Levine Robinson. Missing to this day, or did he pull off a daring caper to become First Lady of the United States of America? Harvard last week with one of their reported daughters and Michelle walks down with Obama and she's walking like a guy and it looks like she's either got like a rubber snake from Halloween or something in her pants and we simply said wow this is a viral video what do you think a black man named Martin Nesbitt who is now according to NYT New York Times a real estate executive Nesbitt's wife is Dr. Anita Blanchard Dr. Anita Blanchard up here is the lady who allegedly delivered the children of, of, of Obama. Who is Nesby? Who is Dr. Anita Blanchard? And who is Martin Nesby? Well, I have the answer to that question. They are none more than the actual parents of the daughters. Meet the real parents of the Obama kids right here. They left out their kids to serve the illusion. Yes. So, so, so. Come on. Let the 
everybody. Hey, y'all up there, pay attention. Here's what happens. If you have to go to the dentist, does do you go to the dentist? No, or does dentist, the dentist comes to me. Dentist comes to you. Do you yes. have the chair, the tools, and you, you got you the spin whole on the chair? Floor? Everything is all there. Everything set up. is there yeah, in the basement. I didn't know. I showed up. I said, you know, I think uh, you know, I've, I've got uh, a cat that's loose. Sir, here we are. Do you reset the clock? Thank you, Vice President Biden. Vice President. <laughs> that was a joke. Hello? Hey, this is Barack. Listen, I need to know if you're on board. Well, yes, I, I guess I could. Because I'm counting on you. Um, I, I could try to help. Because I'm counting on you. Of course, I, I will do anything to help. Okay, good. It all comes down to you now. It all comes down to you now. I'm not running for Barack Obama's third term. I'm not running for Barack Obama's third term. A man trying to come to terms, it seems, with the constitutional reality that, well, he can only have two terms. I love my work. But under our Constitution, I cannot run again. I can't run again. I actually think I'm a pretty good president. I think if I ran, I could win. But I can't. Well, I'm, I'm a little confused about where the laughter came uh, and where the support really was. But first, I'm a little disturbed that our president found it necessary to say three times that he can't run again. But his most frightening statement today his claim that he could win a third term. Why is it so frightening? Because it's so much closer to the truth than anything else he said. That was all set up. <laughs> My president, Joe Biden. New York style or Chicago deep dish? I'm gonna go uh, contrary to type on this. What? I, I love Chicago deep dish pizza. Yes. I love my hometown. Yes. But New York style, being able to fold it, walk while you're eating, there's, there's an efficiency element to it that uh, I think puts it over the top. I, no offense, Chicago. I, I love our pizza. I, no offense, Chicago. I, I love our pizza. I'm just saying. This is uh, it's settled. It, it, New York's a little more practical. Come to man's country. See what we're all about and what we have to offer. Come to man's country and develop your body or a friendship with somebody else's. Visit us once and you'll come again and again. For the best workout in town, it's man's country. From, from the gay community standpoint, Man's Country represented, when it opened, a place where you could go and be free. It was a place where you could go and find somebody to hook up with, um, pre-app days. Nowadays you can do it on your phone, but back then you had to go somewhere and meet someone. And this was a place where you could go and meet someone that you knew wanted to do the things that you wanted to do. He opened this with the notion that it would be like a country club. You could come here for a day or two days. There would be a number of things to do other than just come have sex. Um, so we had sunrooms and uh, there was a snack bar, there was a, a country store, there was entertainment that was going on, there was dancing. In the original uh, man's country days, so we're going back to the 70s and 80s, uh, we did entertainment four nights a week out of this room. Uh, this room was the after party. If you've been in any of the gay bars in the city, you're liable to be here after that bar closed. Um, we had, I think, the best sound system in the city. And uh, we had DJs and light men. And, uh, we were the bar that wasn't a bar, so you could stay here 24 hours if you wanted. In 1987, uh, as a uh, reaction to the drop in business due to AIDS. Due to AIDS? This room was carved into Bistro 2, which was a dance bar. 
And from 87 to 93, it would see a thousand people on a Friday or Saturday night. We had shows on the stage here, Divine, uh, Boy George, the Village People, all of the disco divas like Thelma Houston and Pamela Stanley. And, uh, Bistro closed in 93 and the room was returned to man's country and we started with male strippers and porn stars. The uniqueness is that you were doing a show but you were still inside of a bathhouse so our strippers could strip naked. And uh, we did that up until probably four years ago. Even pre-AIDS we did STD testing out of here. What would become Howard Brown really got its start here. Um, in fact, Chuck underwrote their uh, mobile van so that we could take the testing we were doing here out to the bars. Not that we would take it, but they would take the testing out to the bars. Um, when AIDS hit and uh, health departments in other areas of the country were closing bathhouses or removing doors from the rooms, um, our reaction was to, to contact the city health department and work very closely with them. Um, our reaction was to, to contact the city health department and worked very closely with them. We brought in AIDS uh, education, we brought in condoms, and, and from here they spread out to the bars and, and through International Mr. Leather. Through International Mr. Leather. We actually moved the, the uh, notion of using condoms from the United States to Europe. It was one of our winners, Tom Karash, um, out of Hamburg, Germany, that came here and said, oh, this is great. The bars are all handing out condoms. I'm going to take that back to Europe. Nowadays, what's left uh, in the basement, there is a wet area and a very, very large steam room. We used to say it was the largest steam room in the Midwest. I don't know. It's the only steam room I was ever in, so I don't know if it was the largest, but we said it. There was a 15-member um, hot tub down there. That's been closed. Um, showers. On the first floor, uh, right now, it's uh, rooms and lockers. At the back of those rooms, there is a fetish area, so we have 10 fetish rooms. At the back of those rooms, there is a fetish area, so we have 10 fetish rooms. That have uh, shackles on the double beds and uh, slings in all of those rooms. One room has a St. Andrew's cross, but that, that's our fetish area. But basically, these days, the club has been reduced to lockers and rooms. To me, it's just always been here. And... Um, even now, I live next door, so I can just get up and walk over. Um, I'll, I'll miss it all. What the fuck is this place? And remember, you are property. You are a slave. You are nothing. You understand? Fuck you. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, down the Zuckerberg. Meet Larry Sinclair. What do you do for a living, Mr. Sinclair? Currently, I run a nonprofit in Cocoa building affordable housing. Now, in 2008, when Obama announced his candidacy for president, you made some explosive allegations about him that dated back to some events that occurred in 1999. Is that the year that you met Barack Obama? It is. Where did you meet him? Outside of a bar in Chicago. What were you doing? I was on a night out. I had asked a limo driver if he knew anyone that would be interested in showing me around the town and it was clear for the limo driver that I was looking for someone to enjoy the night with. The introduction was made through the limo driver. And what happened? Uh, we had a few drinks. Uh, I had made some comments about wanting coke so we got in the limo and left and we started drinking, I started snorting, he started smoking, I actually put my hand on his knee and started to rub up his thigh and I performed oral sex on Barack Obama. The following day, I actually get a knock 
on my hotel room door in Gurney, Illinois, only to find Barack Obama standing in front of it. He had actually come back for seconds. I performed oral sex on him in the hotel room at the Comfort Inn and Suites in Gurney, Illinois. Were there drugs involved on the second night as well? There was. Who produced those? He actually brought those with him. Now, Obama at that time was a state senator. I actually had no idea who he was. And then when did you find out that it, it was Barack Obama? Watching the 2004 DNC convention. Thank you very much, everybody. God bless you. Thank you. And it hit me. And I'm, at the time, I was just kind of floored. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Montgomery Blair Sibley. I'm the attorney for Larry Sinclair. Now, you have this press conference. I performed fellatio on Senator Obama in the limousine during the time Senator Obama was smoking crack cocaine. After the press conference, you are arrested by the D.C. Police Department upon the orders of Bo Biden, Attorney General for Delaware. So this is Joe Biden's son, Bo Biden. It is. Apparently he had a grand jury indictment from two weeks after I went public on Obama accusing me of theft that never took place. Shortly before you made these public allegations about Obama, you were contacted, you say, by a man named Donald Young. Donald Young was the choir director in Jeremiah Wright's church in Chicago. This is the church Obama attended? Exactly. And what did Donald Young tell you? That he, too, had intimate relations with Barack Obama and had for, for years, and that I needed to protect myself, that they were going to come after me. What happened to him? He was shot point-blank in his apartment in Chicago. The murder was never solved? No, it wasn't. Donald Young's mother subsequently made a public comment, I believe reported in one of the tabloids. What did she say? She wanted to know why her son had to die to protect his friend, the president, which was referring to Barack Obama. In regards to the Obama incident, on November 6, 1999, I asked the limo driver if he knew anyone who would like to socialize and show me Chicago. He used his cell phone to make a call. That call was made to then Illinois State Senator Barack Obama to set up an introduction between myself and Senator Obama. Senator Obama asked me if I was referring to Coke, and I stated I was. Senator Obama arranged the cocaine purchase. Senator Obama and I then departed the bar in my limousine and proceeded to an unknown location. Returned a short while later with an eight ball of cocaine, which he gave to me. Shortly thereafter, Senator Obama produced a glass cylinder pipe and packet of crack cocaine from his pocket. Obama then smoked the crack cocaine. I performed fellatio on Senator Obama in the limousine during the time Senator Obama was smoking crack cocaine. The following day, November 7th, 1999, Senator Obama appeared at my hotel room where we again ingested cocaine and I again performed fellatio on Senator Obama. Jeremiah Wright is definitely a closet homosexual, there's no doubt about it, um, and, and Obama is as well, and Larry Sinclair was just about that. United Church, you're co-sexual and you're in the closet, uh, you're constantly trying to feed that sex drive without being caught. We're looking at a very dangerous situation here with respect to the Reverend Wright and his, and his homosexual relationship with um, uh, Senator Obama. And, and I'm afraid that the, the issues that, uh, and, and the people that are aware of Obama's homosexuality, using it now but they're not his friends and he understands that as well they have been he's now isolated from Reverend Wright so blackmail is a high possibility it can certainly sway our nation uh, in the wrong way and people who we would not think would be pulling strings will certainly be doing so Miss Rivers how are you you made you made a ton of news officiating the wedding in New York yesterday is this like a is this like a new uh, cottage uh, career move for you I am so excited yeah. I should do very well because I don't show it. And do you think that the country will see the first, the United States will see the first gay president or the first woman president? Well, we already president? have it with Obama, so let's just calm down. Got it. You know Michelle. 
is a trans. You, I'm sorry, she's a what? A transgender. We own them. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. It's okay. Well, it's very mean in some ways. People it's not mean. It's not, not mean. Really? It's not, it's not mean. mean. You can. It's not mean. I tell the truth. Special report. We do have some breaking news at this hour to the Fox 5 newsroom. Legendary entertainer Joan Rivers has passed away. Word of her death just moments ago. We are interrupting regular programming to bring you breaking news. Reports from U.S. Marshals and the governor of Texas that Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has passed away. The owner of the ranch where Scalia died told a Texas newspaper that Scalia had a pillow over his head. When local Texas judge Cinderella Guevara said Justice Scalia died of natural causes, she did it by telephone without seeing the body. Well, I don't think a very good job was done with the death investigation. Remind us of the charges he was facing and, and, and tell us what the father told you about these alleged crimes. Brooke, Aaron allegedly downloaded millions of academic journals from MIT's network. He believed that academic research shouldn't be hidden behind a paywall. And his father said he believed he was innocent. But he did say to me, even if he wasn't innocent, the punishment of 30, facing 35 years in prison, in prison did not match the crime. 11 of the 13 charges Aaron faced were violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, a law that many people say is completely outdated. I asked his father about this. Listen to this. Well, at, at the moment, that law makes it a felony for you to give your password to HBO to a friend. That has to be changed. If you believe that there are problems with the criminal justice system, which obviously you, you've said, uh, do you believe that if the criminal justice system hadn't failed Aaron, do you believe he'd be alive today? Without question. How does that make you feel? Like one who's, who's, who's gone into the abyss. Brooke, I, I met Aaron's father about a year ago. We were sitting in the cafeteria here at CNN in New York, and he just said to me, he said, Lori, I was on my way over, and I picked up my phone to call my son, mm. and then it hit me. And, and you can see that he still has questions, and, and he's obviously defeated by this, but he's fighting. He's fighting. He's talking to you about it. You even talked to him about um, the, the day his son was arrested. What did he share with you? Uh, you know, it's heartbreaking. He talks about how he and his, his son went to MIT to go retrieve his bicycle and his helmet uh, from the officer after he was arrested. The officer came out and said, this is now in the hands of the of Secret Service. And, and they were just, they were devastated. But he, he got into more detail and he said that how they treated him after that, it essentially broke him. Listen to this. They went to his apartment, went through all of his personal effects. After he surrendered voluntarily, they arrested him, they strip searched him, and they left him in solitary confinement for hours. And after he met his bond, they kept him in solitary confinement for, for three or four hours with absolutely no expl explanation, all with the, with the goal of, uh, of attempting to break him. And, you know, he did, we should say, Aaron did battle. As he was battling the courts, he was battling with depression. And his father really believes that had it not been for the charges and the extent of his charges, his, his son would still be alive today, Brooke. And the journalist Michael Hastings has died at the age of 33. Hastings was killed in a car crash in Los Angeles early Tuesday morning. Reporting extensively from Iraq and Afghanistan, Hastings' widely read stories showed the grim realities of war. His 2010 Rolling Stone article on General Stanley McChrystal, the U.S. commander in Afghanistan, sparked a political controversy after McChrystal and his aides were quoted making disparaging remarks about top administration officials. The article exposed long-standing disagreements between civilian and military officials over the war's direction and led to General McChrystal's firing. Speaking to Democracy Now! in 2012, Michael Hastings said the Afghan war, like the invasion of Iraq, was based on a false premise.
If WMDs were the big lie of the Iraq war, uh, the safe haven myth is the big lie of, of the Afghan war. And, and, and what I mean by that, and this was true in Iraq as well, but 99 percent of the people, maybe even higher, honestly, the people were, were fighting, whether it was Sunni insurgents in Iraq or Shiite militias in Iraq or in Afghanistan, the Taliban never actually posed a threat to the United States homeland. So the question uh, one has to ask oneself is that if everything we're doing and everyone we're fighting is not actually a threat to the United States, uh, certainly not a direct threat by any means, by, by any means th then why are we uh, expending so many resources, $120 billion a year, um, you know, with all the lives lost, to do it? And that's, and again, this is the big lie of, of counterinsurgency, which I know we, we've, we've discussed on your show. To justify this tremendous outlay of resources, they have to say, oh, well, no, we're killing terrorists. But everybody knows that that's not true. At the time of that interview, Michael Hastings had just come out with his book, The Operators, the wild and terrifying inside story of America's war in Afghanistan. Tributes began spreading across the Internet Tuesday evening after news broke of Michael Hastings' death. His friend Rolling Stone said, quote, Hastings' hallmark as a reporter was his refusal to cozy up to power. He leaves behind a remarkable legacy of reporting, they wrote. In a statement provided to Democracy Now!, the film director Oliver Stone said, quote, Michael Hastings went far in the span he had. One of our finest young investigative journalists, high stakes reporting in a sense cost him his life. We desperately need more and more young men and women such as Michael willing to protest the intolerable war crimes and arrogance of our supremacy seeking society, Stone wrote. In his first interview with Democracy Now! in 2010, Michael Hastings discussed the foundation he established to honor the memory of his former fiancée, Andrea Parmovich, who was killed by an IED in Iraq in 2007. It's called the the Andy Foundation. Um, it's it's a fund that helps. Uh, we, there's domestic sort of scholarships we give out, but we've also, uh, along with the National Democratic Institute, have an annual fellowship where we bring a young woman from a developing nation over to Washington D.C. to to um, you know learn the learn, learn about human rights and democracy, and so then they can go back to their own home countries and try to institute these rule of law programs. We, we brought over one woman last year from from Iraq. Uh, it was really incredible. She was even able to spend. Christmas with the Pahamovich family, and this year uh, we have a, an, another candidate uh, who came over from, I believe, uh, Burma. Um, so, so you know, you, you know, the war has been has been pretty tough on, on a lot of people, and uh, but you got to just figure out a way to sort of uh, uh, take take what happens and, and go forward and try to do the best you can. Michael Hastings speaking to Democracy Now in 2010. He died on Tuesday in Hollywood in a car crash at the age of 33. You can go to our website at democracynow.org to watch our archive of interviews with Michael Hastings. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. And I'm Nermeen Sheikh. Welcome to our listeners and viewers around the country and around the world. And with more on the mysterious death of Andrew Breitbart, we're joined by investigative journalist, a former officer at the National Security Agency, Wayne Madsen. The reason I wanted to get Wayne on is he had to leave the country for four or five months last year because high-level sources told him that the word is the White House is going to kill you, especially if you keep going to Chicago 
in investigating the mafia ties, the CIA ties, uh, the ties to communist groups. Well, Andrew Breitbart was set, we've now confirmed, as we just covered, to release March 1st, yesterday, the footage of Obama at these communist meetings. Now, it's going to be a few weeks till those get released. Is something going to be redacted? Uh, joining us is Wayne Madsen of WayneMadsenReport.com. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your early first take, and what are your sources saying about what happened to Breitbart? Well, I uh, I was uh, covering the Conservative Political Action Committee annual meeting here in Washington uh, about uh, two and a half weeks ago, and um, I remember Breitbart giving uh, one of these impassioned presentations. I was told by others there, now I don't recall him saying this, I was told by others there that he had this smoking gun evidence. Uh, uh, he didn't get into any details. I spoke to Larry Sinclair, who um, has some information uh, on, on Breitbart, apparently called the L.A. Medical Examiner's uh, office, and um, uh, I, I think we have to look at the, you know, the jaded record of the L.A. Medical Examiner's office and high-profile deaths. I mean, starting with Marilyn Monroe and a few others. Um, but uh, I think we have to wait to see what the autopsy says. And look, even if even if there are uh, drugs found, uh, the word is that he was drinking in a bar earlier uh, that evening before he died of an apparent heart attack uh, on the sidewalk, uh, I guess in, in the Brentwood neighborhood. And uh, I've been cautioned many times uh, to watch my own uh, unattended <laughs> glass of wine uh, and various establishments I've been to here in Washington because, as you said, I, I received three credible threats um, from three credible sources. So I, I don't take uh, those threats lightly. Um, and uh, look, I mean, look, the history, we've had some journalists in this country who were, have been murdered, uh, starting with Danny Casolaro, who was investigating George H.W. Bush and Gary Webb, who uh, supposedly committed suicide. Both these were said to be suicides. Gary Webb was, uh, had done a seminal work on the whole uh, CIA cocaine uh, importation business in this country. So, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't take take uh, the fact that a journalist who may uh, be on the verge of something dying suddenly, I, you know, I, I say, let's wait for the evidence. Well, I know this kind of, you know, alternative Republican muckrakers like Michael Savage are hiding out, do have bodyguards. I knew this from private sources and never mentioned it, but now Savage has talked about the fact that he warned uh, Breitbart, when he met with him a few years ago to get bodyguards, uh, you know, the fact that I've talked to some other people close to Breitbart and that, you know, they're concerned and think that this was some type of killing. I mean, look at what Obama's doing, the people that blackmail him. He's, he's stealing trillions of dollars and giving it in, in, in special contracts to people. And we know the Republican and Democratic power structure fight with each other uh, over the levers. We know Obama ran fast and furious, all these other criminal operations. So I think we'd be foolish not to look at this suspiciously, but yeah, he could have died of drugs, heart attack, whatever. The fact that it's the day he's saying he's going to release this stuff, and then now it hasn't been released, that just, that just sends up big red flags for me. 
Well, you know, and, and let's uh, look at whatever he had. If, if it's uh, uh, early footage or photographic evidence of Obama attending Marxist meetings or communist meetings, whether he was there with uh, Bill Ayers or Bernard, uh, Bernadine Dorn or any of these people, my contention is that Obama was selected at a very young age to infiltrate these groups. Um, and I, I got word, of course, from old members of the of the Black Panther Party in Chicago that when he showed up uh, after he left that CIA job in Manhattan, when he showed up in Chicago suddenly and saying, hey, I'm, I'm Barry Obama and I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really in with you guys here. And they, they told me they knew he was a plant from the very beginning because they said he was a phony. They knew he wasn't from their neighborhood, that he had been pa parachuted in. Uh, is the word I got, uh, and they were, you know, having dealt with COINTEL Pro and FBI infiltrators for years. They uh, were very suspicious of him. Uh, so I think uh, this has to be, th this report, if true, has to be looked at in context that Obama was, you know, basically uh, uh, chosen to uh, infiltrate these various groups because of his own background. Uh, Half African American uh, had a uh, Indonesian stepfather. Uh. And these death threats from sources saying, "Yeah, this is coming from the White House as a warning." Until last year, what was it you were working on? I mean, I know it was going to Chicago. What were you looking into that 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 has got them threatening you? Because obviously, that's where we need to look closer. Yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't the uh, <clears throat> story that, of course, Larry Sinclair. Uh, advanced about his um, at least his bisexuality. It, it, what I was warned off on was the uh, the the background of Obama in Indonesia uh, with the Central Intelligence Agency. This is the one thing that they can't handle at the White House. The reason being is they can handle this birth certificate story. They basically run Hawaii. Uh, Neil Abercrombie's the governor. He he knew. Um, uh, uh, Stanley Ann Dunham, Obama's mother, he, you know, he knew the family. Uh, uh, so they, they, and he's governor of Hawaii now. So, of course, he's in a position to uh, tamp anything down on that front. But I, I always thought that the real issue with Obama and the one that they really can't handle is, is the, uh, his links uh, and his possible ties uh, uh, to the Central Intelligence Agency uh, as early on as Occidental in L.A., but uh, possibly. Yeah, yeah, that's really blown up in Obama's face. The fact that he demanded the secret arrest provisions and the power to kill citizens. It's obviously unconstitutional, but he says he has that power. Now he's saying he won't enforce it and has signed this uh, executive directive to the bureaucracies. But when you have a president seeking the power to kill citizens, even in America, and then his political enemies start dying mysteriously, that pretty much convicts him right there that he was seeking this power. I mean, could we see the implementation of NDAA taking place? We saw Judge Andrew Napolitano, who was anti-war uh, and, and anti-Republican and Democratic establishment, with some of the highest ratings on Fox Business, fired. We saw the same week Buchanan fired. He said he was told, don't criticize the war, don't criticize what Israel's doing. So I'm seeing a purge, and I've talked to high-level people in the media who've been told, leave Obama alone, basically... Uh, Rupert Murdoch is being blackmailed by the Justice Department over his crimes in England. And sure enough, we now see a son leaving England, people getting arrested. I'm not saying what they did in England was okay, 
It's just that I think we're seeing an internal power structure battle because they're obviously for the same global corporate fascist system, but they're fighting over who gets to control that trough. What's your take on that? Well, look, I, 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 I think this all started with Bush when we had the unitary executive basically become uh, the law of the land, that the uh, White House enjoys sovereign immunity, uh, even over the Constitution of the United States. And then uh, Obama's done nothing to give up any of those powers. As a matter of fact, he's taken on even more uh, powers. Uh, for example, uh, Obama is currently prosecuting at least seven people under the Espionage Act from 1917. Now, this is the law that Woodrow Wilson used to go after people who thought we shouldn't be getting into World War I uh, on behalf of the United Kingdom. And, uh, and, and it was, of course, it was, up, it was upgraded uh, uh, in um, uh, 1948 by Senator Pat McCarran. Of course, it was, uh, the McCarran Act was finally passed in 1950, uh, and that had to do with uh, uh, further establishing the national security state during the Alger Hiss investigation. So what we have are a Cold War and a World War I law being used now to stifle people in the government from reporting mis uh, wrongdoing uh, to journalists. And we still have uh, uh, the government trying to put a New York Times reporter in jail for not going before a grand jury to reveal uh, his sources, uh, Jim Risen. So uh, in, in, the, in, in this respect, Obama is worse than Bush when it comes to uh, the, this uh, whole a frontal attack on freedom of the press in this country. Um, now, would, would they go the extra mile and start doing things to, to journalists or, or bloggers uh, or you know, anyone else who they find is a threat? Um, I, I'm, I'm still of an open mind because I received, like I say, I received three credible threats and I, I took seriously. So I, wouldn't, I would not put it past them to do that. Um, but I, I think we have to wait before we, you know, uh, start saying anything else, let's wait to see what the L.A. Medical Examiner's Office has to say. Sure, but again, I go back to that point that I made uh, right as you were coming on. The fact that within two hours or a little bit less of him being announced dead, they were saying natural causes, nothing to worry about, move along, move along. And any other time I've seen it, like with Gary Webb or other cases you mentioned, when they do kill yeah. somebody, they immediately announce that it was suicide or natural causes when there is foul play. I'll tell you, I was, I was almost as surprised to hear who his father-in-law was, Orson Bean, the old panelist on uh, To Tell the Truth, um, who um, I think was one of the first people who indicated that it might have been from natural causes. But uh, I, I frankly thought that Orson Bean had died years ago. So I, uh, I was almost as surprised about that in the case. I mean, it's very bizarre. And, and wasn't Orson Bean even blacklisted back during the Red Scare? Yeah, yeah he, apparently he was an aspiring actor in Hollywood uh, who was accused of attending Communist Party meetings. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, here we go full circle. And he, he was sort of blacklisted in the 50s. So his career really had to do with appearing on, uh, you know, as a panelist on To Tell the Truth in the Match Game with, uh, you know, Bud Collier and uh, Gene Rayburn. Beyond bizarre. Now, I yeah. always love the wild card here because we don't do pre-interviews with you, obviously. Um, 
but you did right before we went on mention that uh, you were at the CPAC event and you talked to Mr. Sinclair and he said he did talk to um, Andrew Breitbart. So tell us about that. And then briefly, any other things you're investigating right now? Yeah, I, I spoke to Larry. Uh, I spoke to him at CPAC, but I talked to him this morning and uh, there was a, 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 an event called a, a bloggers bash at CPAC. I, I was not there, but uh, Larry was there and he told me the next day that he had spoken to Breitbart and Breitbart had told him about uh, wait till March the 1st about something. Now, in Breitbart's speech to the whole CPAC audience, um, he said um, um, that uh, he said something about some sort of uh, evidence, uh, might have been photographs or video uh, about uh, Obama, but I, I frankly wasn't paying attention. But I did speak to some other folks who were there today. And they, they said absolutely that he did refer to that during his uh, speech. No, no, we have that clip. In, in fact, I was going to play it at the end of the interview. Do we have first, Obama's going to really not like this. We're going to take him down. So, yes, he, he, he did indeed say and do that. Uh, a man who worked as a choir conductor and school teacher is found shot to death. The victim, 47-year-old Donald Young. Good evening, everyone. Young's death has been ruled a homicide. His body was discovered yesterday morning inside his south side home at 2320 East 69th Street. ABC 7's Michelle Gallardo is here now with more on the case and how Young is being remembered tonight. Michelle? Ravi, Donald Young was the fourth of eight siblings. He was, according to those who loved him, the type of person who didn't take life for granted. He lived every day to the fullest. So whether it was in the South Side classroom where he taught or at church conducting the choir every Sunday, Young made an impression on those who met him. He was one of those success stories in terms of a kid whom the average person would look at and say he doesn't have a chance. And yet, before his death, Donald Young succeeded mightily. Among other things, he was a choir conductor at Trinity United Church of Christ for many years. This amateur video, shot just last week, shows him doing what for him wasn't a profession, but a calling. He came to our church as a 12-year-old. Uh, he didn't. And he was not brought by mother and father. He just came because of the other kids and became active in the church. The church became Young's extended family. When news of his killing came during Sunday morning services, Reverend Wright tells us many parishioners got up and went straight to Young's home. This third floor apartment on the 2300 block of East 69th Street is where Young was found by his roommate, shot to death. He was a person who believed in loving people with God love, agape love that a lot of us don't, unconditional love. Young was also a fifth grade teacher at Guggenheim Elementary. And tonight, family spokesperson Dennis Cole told us Young had just finished a double master's in early child education and math. His ambition was to become a school principal. There's so many good times, so many photos to go through, so many tears of joy, sadness, but most of all, just the fact that we're out here to inspire each other and to encourage each other is the way we get, we're getting through this during this time of the year. African-American male is on a paddleboard, no life preserver. This morning, tragedy unfolding near the Obama family's Martha's Vineyard estate. Police recovering the body of 45-year-old Tafari Campbell, a beloved personal chef and friend of the former president and first lady. The call for help came in Sunday evening for the missing paddleboarder, who witnesses tell police was last seen wearing all black before they eventually lost eye contact with him. A 40-year-old male, 
possible drowning. Campbell's paddleboard and hat would surface, but no sign of Campbell. Then the unimaginable. The husband and father of two found a dead 100 feet from shore at a depth of about eight feet in the Edgartown Great Pond. Police say divers found his body by deploying a side scan sonar from a boat. Campbell first worked as a sous chef for the Obamas at the White House. Gotta keep them lock and key. Seen here brewing beer in this White House video. What you do is you take the beer bottle. Now authorities investigating the drowning. Campbell was on the vineyard visiting. The Obamas were not there at the time of the incident. Mr. and Mrs. Obama released in a statement calling him a warm, fun, extraordinary, kind person who made all of our lives a little brighter, adding he was a talented sous chef at the White House. He's been part of our lives ever since, and our hearts are broken that he's gone. Campbell is survived by his wife and their twin boys. The couple's Instagram posts over the years showing their close relationship and tight-knit family. Safari Campbell was murdered. There's no doubt in my mind he was murdered. It's been covered up. There's no talk about him at all. They didn't even say he drowned. They just said his body was found the next day. They didn't even look for him that night. They just went home, said, we'll get him in the morning. <laughs> that man was murdered. And you have to ask, why was he murdered? Why was he murdered? I think the Obamas are coming back politically. When the Obamas start running, people start dying. Kind of like the Clintons. You don't want to be around the Clintons when they're running for office. Obamas are getting ready to reappear on the political scene. And most likely, Michelle is going to become the vice president and move up to the presidency to replace uh, Joe Biden. Or she's just going to run for president in 2024 and Joe's going to drop out one way they can't keep this shtick going much longer with all the information that's come out about Hunter Biden I think I think we need to revisit Barry Satoro we need to remind people who and what he is he's still running things he's behind he is the president right now in 2016 January 2017 when after Mr. Trump was elected I said Barack Obama's not leaving Washington. And he didn't. And he didn't. He's still in Washington. I said he would be the shadow president, the president exile. He would run the country from a few blocks away. And that's precisely what he's been doing. Barack Obama managed the entire operation against Donald Trump. He was the man behind it all. The dossiers, the fake evidence, the impeachments, all of it. Barack Obama, Barry Satoro, the communist street organizer. He's leading this country into communism. I said it in 2007 and 8. I am more convinced today than I was then because we're now into communism. We're in it now. They got control of the USA in 2020. Stop what you're doing and listen to this. So by now, we have all heard that Obama's chef, Tafari Campbell, died in a paddleboard accident on the Edgartown Great Pond. Now, this is on Obama's Martha's Vineyard estate. The funny thing about this is that the mainstream media and official reports all are reporting that he died in eight-foot-deep water. Now, Tafari was very active, and according to his Instagram page, he knew how to swim and he was taking swimming classes. He was very active, he was very fit. 
But according to the Martha Vineyard Commission, as well as other public available information online, that pond only has a depth between 3 to 4.3 feet. Where did the extra 4 feet come from? And why are they reporting 8 feet? Something doesn't smell right. Well, 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 we have another news story just in. You know, it looks like there were some missing details from that police report. Weird. As you guys saw from my other report, it was just released that his death was ruled an accident. And now that that ruling has come out, some new details have come out as well. It looks as if Mr. Tafari Campbell was not only not wearing a life vest, and he wasn't attached to his paddleboard, but he wasn't wearing his clothes. Um, just saying that's a little weird. They kept a lot of things in the report, but forgot to mention that one little detail and probably just a few others. So, according to the now public incident report by the Edgartown Police Department, Tafari's clothes were found 16 minutes after the 911 call, but his body was not found until the next day. Huh? So a married man was found naked, and we now know that the paddle boarder is an unknown woman. We can't know her name for some reason. We can't know who it is, and she doesn't want to tell her truth because that might clear some things up. You know, that might make some things make more sense. Yeah, we're not going to get that. We're just going to get new facts on the fact that he was paddle boarding, not with his wife, but with a female naked with no life vest on to a man that says he can swim, but people are saying he can't swim, but he was in eight feet of water. So what was really stopping him from getting over to the edge? I don't know. Sounds really sketch to me. But whatever, it's the Obamas. Don't question a thing. They don't do anything wrong. I mean, what's to question? The whole Obama family was on the island. They were there. This is Obama's estate right there. The, the pond is right there. Secret Service is everywhere. They called the police, but they couldn't save him? Secret Service? Aren't you a little one step up from the police department? But, <laughs> you know, whatever. Just another detail that doesn't make sense. All right, the math ain't math in here. It's not math. Still, no one? No one cares? Okay. Question everything. Question everything. I don't know what other secrets are out there. Uh, the documents show the clothes were found separate from the body, and they found the body using sonar. I don't understand why we weren't told initially the Secret Service was involved. It raises additional questions. Questions we're going to demand answers. I'll post puppies and dance and food. And I just now started telling y'all the truth. And I've been pulling it down for I don't know how long. Okay. If you're, if you're not new to my Instagram, you have seen me post up something about trafficking and snap that shit down in the same second because I was too scared to say something. Now I'm just hot. That 14 year old girl is me.
I hope some of you get your asses smacked. When you find out, I hope the people who worship this man and told your children to worship this man, you get your ass smacked. I hope that you are in hysterics. I hope that you feel the guilt and the shame. I hope that you know that my friends that have lost their lives and are sitting on somebody's fucking water island is because of you. It's coming out. That my mother or I posted. No one asked. You know what everybody did? What everybody did? What's wrong with our fucked up world? What everybody did? Everybody took a second to defend who? Joe Biden. Ron Jeremy, Denzel Washington, Beyonce Knowles, Ellen DeGeneres, Whoopi Goldberg, Lady Gaga, Chrissy T, John Legend, Joan Rivers, Bob Saget. Do you want me to keep fucking going? The Biden laptop when he's sleeping with his uh, 14 year old nieces, cousins, family, other children, and possibly my name will come up soon. Why, 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 So firsthand, these people were in a room with you and had, they raped you. I, I mean, there's no other, I want to be absolutely 100% candid. Barack Obama, yes. Joe Biden, these people raped you. And you say that you have these mountains of evidence that nobody wants to look at. What evidence do you have? We have police reports, we have rape kits, we have information, we have videos, we have so much. But again, there's so much that I can't put completely out there and I have mountains of it. But I do understand that um, when I was when I was 16, I ran away from CPS. This is how I escaped. I was auctioned to Russia. Um, I knew that if I went to Russia with this man, that I would not come back and I would die. So I ran away and I hid for a year. Um, I did what I had to do, and I can't say exactly what I had to do because it would put some people in danger. Uh, but I'm here and I'm alive. Um, and w I, during this time, uh, my pimp sent fake FBI to homes to interrogate to disrupt the neighborhood. But when the suspects that they, they thought were the ones that were guilty and called them back, they didn't want anything, they didn't want to talk. Um, they just wanted to see exactly where I was. Uh, it didn't end from there. It hasn't ended at all. I'm 27 years old now and it should be done because if this was just about sex, if this was just about money, this would be over, but this is not what this is about. MK Ultra exists, uh, DID exists. This hell exists. Explain, explain that people for people who don't understand what that really means. So what is this really all about? It's all about power and control. Uh, MKUltra is a mind control programming. Uh, it happens to Hollywood elites. It is happening right now to Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, um, many celebrities just like them. Uh, but nobody understands and nobody knows because it's, it's a part of control. It's like someone has the remote to someone's life and no one knows who's pushing the buttons. Um, Disassociative identity disorder happens when you have nowhere to go with the trauma, when you have nowhere to go with the pain. So your mind splits and shatters into a million pieces with those people uh, that have had to take a part of the pain and do what they have to do to stay alive.
How many of those brothels do you think there are in Europe? I know of about four. In which countries? Belgium. Germany. Poland. Where is the one in Poland? Tri-City. In a regular house as well? Yes. Do you know what I felt while recruiting those girls? I didn't give a shit about those girls and their kids. All I cared about was the money. The adoption of a child is carried through in such a way that the girl gets married to an Arab, a Muslim. The Muslim law allows marrying even underage girls. Then he gets to adopt the child. He takes the child away to his country, a Muslim one. But for more than three decades, I have also had the tremendous fortune to travel the world. And as part of that experience, to learn about the goodness and beauty of Islam. As a college student in the 1970s, I spent a summer traveling through Indonesia, taking in the wonderful landscape, culture, and people of Java and Bali. Despite my long hair, my earring, and my obvious American appearance, I was welcomed throughout that country in a way that is reflect, a reflection of the tremendous warmth of Islamic cultures and societies. Like the president during his childhood years in Jakarta, I came to see Islam, not how it is often misrepresented, but for what it is, how it is practiced every day by well over a billion Muslims worldwide, a faith of peace and tolerance and great diversity. And if you permit me, or I should say, Ismahli, Bad Indonesia, Safarat ila Misr, wa hunak Berast Arabia fi Jamna Amrikia, fi Kahira, wa hada fi Elf wa fi Sanat Elf wa Tismaya wa Khams wa Sabiin wa Sita wa Sabiin, wa Safarat ila Al Jordan, wa Palestine, wa Al Quds, and Tunis, wa Bad Misr, sakin fi Al Shabal Asit, takriban Sita Sita Sana, lakin Sofa Adros Arabia Maritani, inshallah. Afwan. You are absolutely right that John McCain has not uh, talked about my Muslim faith, and you're absolutely right that that has not Christian come faith. Uh, my, my Christian faith. In Muslim countries, papers are easy to get. For 50 local dollars, you can get any document you want. Changing the first or last name is not a problem, and so any trace of the child is lost. What then? They go to Egypt for a couple of days. They get new papers through some formal correction of the name and the last name in a matter of hours. And the child returns as a completely different person.
It returns to Europe, to the brothel, and no one is ever looking for that child again. The trace is lost. A child had left. It had a name and a last name, and a different person came back to Europe later. And the mother? She goes to a brothel in Europe. What does it look like when they bring you kids for sale from Ukraine? When a child comes from Ukraine, it gets new papers here in Poland. These are another child's papers with an identical ID. Only the photo of the imported kid is swapped. And practically the trace is lost here. The child goes abroad with its new Polish ID. So you need the ID in case of inspection? Yes, while crossing the border. Just in case. Then there are no more problems, because the real child stays in Poland while the other one is officially non-existent. Yes. The moment the client informs he wants to kill the child, a whole group is immediately set up to pick up the organs. We schedule it so that everything overlaps, so that we have a recipient ready. Whatever can we say. Is the child still alive when it's being taken to the operating room? It's done on the spot in the villa. Is that where the organs are retrieved? Yes, there's a special sterile room there. When they torture those children, the children get broken, their arms get broken, their legs, their legs get pulled out of the hips. They often get beaten up. Torn apart. Organs, buttholes. Do yes. So it's sadism? Yes, sadism. Infants always suffer. They all do. Later that child is useless. Older children are exploited for a while. They're addicted to the drugs they're sedated with. But infants become useless. They go for spare parts. Older kids... can't take it mentally. Also because of the drugs, they ration them out to make the costs as low as possible. Because the kids are nothing more than just merchandise. That also has an impact on their mental state. One boy slashed his wrists. He couldn't take it. All that manhandling and the kind of life he had there. They did save him, of course. But he was sent for spare parts. The drugs put children in such extreme psychotic state. That they hurt themselves. The kids' clients are very rich. They even come in their own private jets and helicopters from fuck who knows where. They are picked up at different locations. Filthy rich. They pay a fortune to spend time with a child. Everything's arranged with a medical team. They know the child will not survive. And if it becomes crippled for life, nobody's going to look after it. So it immediately becomes an organ donor. Those brothels have branches all over the world. With operating rooms. There are high security sites. 
Few people know about them. There are no regular brothels. We're talking about huge money here, so... They are perfectly organized. It's not just some dude or madam sitting there. It's all professionally set up. Like a corporation? Yes, like a corporation. As complex as a corporation. There must be a medical team on standby. Someone must look after those kids. Someone must organize. The transplants and everything. There must also be someone that helps them. Search clients for the organs out. It will continue. The demand is huge and... They won't change. While delving into the topic, I came across a moving appeal of another mother to the kidnapper of her child. I decided to get in touch with her. On the day you came into my life and changed it into a nightmare, that day you kidnapped my son. Although so many years have passed by, my pain and my longing for him have grown even bigger. Finding Tomok is the sense of my life. Do you know how it hurts to be separated for such a long time? Do you know the pain of losing... The first thing I did when I entered our property was ask him where Tomok was. He said he had seen him playing 10 or 15 minutes before. I looked around, but he was nowhere to be seen. I put down my shopping bag with groceries and walked back outside. I called out to him, to no avail. I remained outside the house. I sat on the steps, not knowing what to do with myself. I didn't know where to go. In the dark, I stumbled into the worst and the darkest places, despite being a total coward. On such occasions, you feel no fear. You do not fear for yourself. It's your priority to find the missing child. While sitting on those steps, I began to pray. I said, God, if you need to punish someone, punish me and spare the child. Don't let him feel the pain of separation. Because the child is not an and Tomok's age progression was publicized. We got a message with a photo from what later turned out to be a fake account. That Tomok, that missing Tomok, was now Ryan Pitts. It also included his whereabouts. When I opened that photograph, I almost passed out. I sat on a stool and said, God Almighty, this is my Tomok. The two men were so similar that the Polish police decided to contact the FBI. Do you think the FBI did all they could? They checked it just to get us off their back, so we leave them alone. I know our side was putting pressure on them, 
FBI said they'd check Ryan Pitt's birth certificate. Because he got married there, he had to have a valid copy of his birth certificate, right? And they sent us information that his birth certificate was checked and that it was an original document. And that was it. There was no prior information about him. No place of birth. Even his date of birth differs on different sites on the internet. So it really makes me wonder. And all the information that you can find about him starts from the age of five. In my opinion, FBI failed. They dropped the case too early and didn't explain the kidnapping. Doing the research on that family's past, we found information that Ryan's grandparents were patrons of an orphanage located in their town. I guess switching one kid with another wouldn't be difficult at all. Ryan Pitts was a soldier decorated by President Obama. When he was decorated by President Obama, several interviews appeared, and there was an interview with his grandmother who told Ryan's story. And in that interview, she made it clear that Ryan had to fight for himself since his early childhood. My husband's DNA and mine are in the general database and they are available for verification. It's generally known that all the U.S. Army soldiers submit their DNA, so the DNA results are available in the U.S. military database, but no one wants to give us access to it, so there is the possibility to verify that. Ryan himself doesn't want to give his consent. He doesn't agree for DNA verification. And we cannot force him to do that. Only the court would be able to do it. Ryan Pitts lives in the USA. He has a wife and a child there. If it turns out that he's the kidnapped boy, Tomek, within a day, would lose the rights of an American citizen and would be deported to Poland. He wouldn't have the right to stay there because it would mean that all the documents of his origin had been forged. He'll do everything to avoid these tests because they would mean the end of his family. I'm afraid that I'll die without knowing the truth and the ending to this case. Thirteen minutes later, the strange aircraft flies low over the building before the incident, 11.43 a.m. Just two minutes later, the strange aircraft returns and flies lower over the building before the incident, 11.45 a.m. Nine minutes later, the strange aircraft returns and again flies low over the building before the incident, 11.54 a.m. This is the moment of the incident. After the incident, the strange aircraft does not return.
likely will come a time in which we have both an airborne disease that is deadly. And in order for us to deal with that effectively, we have to put in place an infrastructure, not just here at home, but globally, that allows us to see it quickly, isolate it quickly, respond to it quickly. So that if and when a new strain of flu like the Spanish flu crops up five years from now or a decade from now, we've made the investment. And we're further along to be able to catch it. And what's important is, is that all of us realize what conservatorship really means. As its core, it's a legal tool that is used and wielded with the intent of protection. It appoints an individual organization to manage another's personal and financial affairs when they're deemed incapable. Yet through the lens of freedom, it treads a fine line on one hand, but on the other, it potentially curtails personal liberties entrusting someone else with the reins of one's life. The balance between protection and autonomy is a very delicate one. And in our quest to protect, we must ensure that freedom is not the unintended casualty. And I bring to your attention this uh, going rhetoric. For most of you that have seen the Britney Spears video, um, let me show you. People have now been advocating that Britney Spears may indeed be insane because she did a knife dance. But I'd like to show you that that's not the case. In fact, she was only mimicking something she saw previously, but nobody wants to talk about that. They want to make her look crazy. So allow me to show you the video that is supposedly the claim that Britney Spears has lost her mind and maybe conservatorship was a good idea. Please pay attention. So that video was pulled from, excuse me, are you Greek on Instagram, where he superimposed Greek Cretan music. But here's the deal. Here's what Britney Spears was really doing. And he actually said it after seeing Shakira nail her Cretan dance, Britney Spears wanted it. And here's Shakira's dance that Britney was emulating. So in other words, Britney Spears did it and she's crazy. Shakira did it and she's not. Do you see where I'm going with this? It takes a lot for people to take a step back and let things sit a little bit because this is what they do. They take something and they just talk about it as if they're talking from a position of knowledge without really having knowledge. Yes, it looked crazy, but, you know, 
they were just performing and she was just, you know, Shakira looked good. Why not copy it? And it was through a humorous channel that you see it because he, he said, here's Shakira, you know, tell me you're Cretan without telling me you're Cretan because she was dancing with the knives, right? Cause there's a knife dance in Crete. And, um, then Britney Spears goes ahead and use the same thing, knives, you know, because it was very successful and suddenly she's crazy. See, this is it. She just dancing and doing her thing. Like no one should, how is that her being crazy? She could do whatever she wants. Who are you to say which one? How many of you dance and sing in your bedrooms naked? Okay. She just puts it on camera, whatever. I'm just saying, sometimes there's more to the story and people don't pay attention. And we have to be very careful because when we speak of conservatorship, we should remember that even those that we believe are incapacitated, like many thought that you were incapacitated, that you were crazy because you didn't want to wear a mask or you didn't want to comply. So it's important that people take a step back and let things simmer just for a little bit. Let it percolate and don't talk right away. Now today, Senator Feinstein, unexpectedly, my ass unexpectedly, she's like a hundred, okay? And you know, she's got one foot in the grave and she was gripping onto her seat. She was a mom, a grandma, a mayor. I've gone through that. You should listen to those Feinstein episodes. A governor and a senator. In the position right now where we're going through a, a death, an ego death of understanding that everything is controlled and there's nothing that isn't. So on that, before I close with my Diane Feinstein comments, I thought I would share on a day of death, a new video by Dax. And on this day of death, the video's name is Life. Please enjoy. This life gets real hard and sometimes you may feel you're out of place. You may think this time then blink and find it's gone and you can't waste. You gotta take go hold, embrace it, close your eyes and walk by faith and go today. Don't wait, keep go today. Don't wait, don't wait. Life. Well, what can we say on Diane Feinstein? Today, reflecting upon her life and her infamous legacy, many find ourselves on opposing sides of her political decisions. And we cannot deny, though, the impact and ineligible mark that she has left on the nation and for California. Each life, regardless of our personal sentiments, is a melting pot of each one's experiences, choices, and lessons. It's said that in the aftermath of our earthly existence that we're subjected to reckonings of a unique nature, tailored to the life that we lead. Imagine, imagine being bound as a tree, seeing all, yet rendered immobile and mute. Centuries as a silent observer, every missed opportunity or misguided decision playing on a loop. Such a fate would indeed be 
a profound and inconceivable penance. In this time today, thinking of Senator Feinstein, we are reminded of the imperfections of human existence and the evil that exists. We are rooted in place with knowledge and awareness, yet unable to influence the world, so they say. But that notion serves as a stark reflection of the isolation many feel in their own lives. And perhaps even Senator Feinstein herself may have felt it at times. In her bidding farewell to this existence, we recognize the struggles that she faced, the decisions that she made, and the ultimate solitude of a life lived under the public eye. And again, while we may not always have agreed, we should extend compassion to her journey ahead, wherever and, where, and whatever that may be. For think of a punishment of being a tree. As much as we might perceive her newfound existence as maybe a tree as punishment, it may also be an opportunity and a chance to see the world through unfiltered eyes to understand perspectives previously ignored and to ultimately find peace in knowing. The other day, my daughter was debating online and she had an exchange where someone said, God created evil, and I don't understand how he did that. And she said something profound, something that I've echoed before. Evil was not created by God. Evil is the absence of God. So could you imagine living a life in the absence of God and knowing? that you are now going to meet him. That's gotta be hard. On that note, I'm excited to see what our president has to say today. See you tomorrow.